It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live! Woohoo! I pegged the meters on that one. Wow, let yeah. me bring down my audio levels a little bit. Hello, everybody. How are you guys? Hope everybody had a nice weekend. Oh, Craig, you need to put headphones on. I'm coming through your speakers. Yeah, I'm coming through your speakers. Okay. Um, and I've also got that problem uh, where I... <laughs> My chat room is on another screen somewhere on my Mac, and I can't see it at the moment, so I'm trying to solve that. But today we're going to talk about why your music isn't getting licensed. This is for real. This is not like some theoretical thing. This is something that happens all the time, and um, it's people. It's something completely avoidable. And uh, you know what, for right now, I'm not going to look at the chat room. That's just good because I want to get into it with Craig. And sitting in front of me or next to me, I guess, is our head screener here at Taxi, Mr. Craig Pilo. You know him, you love him, you've seen him on the show before. Whoops, I really have to get over Are you guys thing. getting a loop? Because I'm getting a... You're getting a loop? The sound is looping. Interesting. Um, you shouldn't be. Hang on a second. I have no idea. Uh, still there? Yeah. And still looping, huh? No, now we're good. Okay. I don't know what's going on with it. It's... Oh, there it is. The latest OS. Uh, let me double... I'm not getting a loop. Um, My voice seems delayed. All right, well, I don't know what to tell you. Um, take off one side of your cans. That way it'll only be half as bad. <laughs> That's a true audio engineer for you. Anyway, hello, everybody in the chat room that I can't see right now. Um, I don't know how to solve this problem. If uh, somebody wants to email liz at taxi.com, you know how you're on one screen, but the screen will slide away and your other screen with your browser shows up? Uh, in the latest version of the Mac OS. I've never really bothered to look into that, and I'm having that issue today. So, Liz, when you get it, can you please print it and bring me the instructions, and I will solve the problem. But we're going to talk about why your music isn't getting licensed. This is like, remember David Letterman used to do stupid pet tricks? Um, this is kind of like a, a stupid musician trick. It, it's dopey things that people do, that is preventing them from getting their music licensed. So here's the deal. Um, long before Craig ever worked at Taxi, he's been a music supervisor. Um, he's owned his own production music library. His music is in a bunch of libraries. We do not allow the staff to submit their music to the companies we work with or through Taxi listings. We don't, uh, I don't know that we've ever had another staff member that's had their own library, but we, um, don't let them run listings for their libraries, but we made an exception a few weeks ago because Craig got contacted by a music supervisor who needed specific stuff for a show. And uh, so we said, sure, you know what? This is a great opportunity for us to see how our clients see Taxi on their end, on the end user receiving end of the music. I mean, we already have a pretty good idea because so many of our clients are also, have become friends of ours. 
But in this case, somebody under our own roof who could look at it critically from that perspective. So Craig uh, sent a summary letter out to myself and to um, the rest of the members of the A&R team. And this is what it said. Listen carefully, everybody. Uh, and I'm going to go through the whole letter and then we're going to go address point by point. So the letter said, or the email said, good morning. Taxi forwarded me 27 vocal tracks and 14 instrumental tracks. I reached out to 10 people, which equated to signing about 20 tracks total. Um, of the 10 people I reached out to, eight got back to me. So he reached out to 10 and only eight responded. So there's one reason your music's not getting licensed. You didn't respond, dear God. After following up with the other two people, one didn't even have a PRO account, meaning performance rights organization, um, didn't have an ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, uh, whatever account, and didn't know how to send files. I've never heard from the other one at all. So eight out of 10 that he reached out to did respond. 20%, which is two of them, did not respond. Uh, one of them didn't have a PRO, didn't know how to send files, yet I wanna be in the music business. And the other one he never heard back from at all. So from the eight people that he did contact, three replied immediately with the signed contract and sent the requested deliverables, meaning the music, in a zip file in a timely and professional manner. Yay, <laughs> yay, yay, yay. Um, I followed up vigorously, meaning Craig followed up vigorously with the other five people because this was a time-sensitive submission. I needed to get the files to the music, super on, uh, music supervisor on Friday and my initial emails went out on Tuesday afternoon. Of the people, one of the people sent their PRO account number versus the requested IPI number and two of them didn't have their legal name on their taxi account. Both of them had some sort of nickname or stage name on their account, so the information I received on the playlist, meaning the taxi playlist that we send out in Disco, wasn't correct because we generate the Disco playlist from our member database. I had to reissue their publishing agreements with their correct names and start the process over. Not a big deal, but again, time was an issue. Overall, it was a good experience, but the members could definitely do more to prepare themselves for getting music accepted by a publisher, and I'm inserting here, or anybody else. Um, number one, emails from publishers should be addressed in a time-sensitive manner, in other words, immediately. Number exactly. two, members need to be well-versed at file manipulation and know how to send an MP3, a WAVE, an AIFF, or any requested file format. Alternate mixes and stems should also be ready to go. Number three, members should understand the legal consequences of not using your legal name across the board. In other words, if your name is Tommy B. Jones, let it be Tommy B. Jones on your taxi account. Let it be Tommy B. Jones on your publishing. Let it be Tommy B. Jones on your PRO, all that stuff. Your legal name should be used on your tax account, on your audio files, and the contracts you sign with the publisher and on your PRO account, or you may not get paid. 
Number four, members should be familiar with exclusive versus non-exclusive contracts. Mine, meaning Craig's catalog, uh, is a three-year exclusive deal which renews automatically every two years. I don't understand that, but we'll talk about it. Um, if no written notice is given, these are standard deals. Uh, I need to follow up the music supervisor. Hopefully she likes what she heard. I just asked Craig right before we went live if he's heard, and he's meeting with her later this week. So it's so frustrating when I see people online that say, oh yeah, you know, they'll post on some other entity's forum or something, and they'll say, um, I, I use taxi but uh, I, I never got anything out of it. Or it felt, I felt like my music went into a black hole. Well, maybe it's because they've got two or three different names on their accounts, whatever. So Craig, let's go down the list and talk about these things. Um, yeah. So you got 31 tracks altogether, 20, I mean 41, 27 vocal tracks, 14 instrumental tracks that were sent to you by the A&R team. Um, I reached out to 10 of the people, which equated to signing about 20 tracks in total, meaning 10 people on an average of two tracks each. Yes. Of the 10 people I reached out to, eight got back to me. Did you find that shocking at all? That two people yeah, just... Yeah, because... Go ahead. Yeah, because if, if I, you know, as a composer, if a publisher got back to me, I would have been static. I would have been like, cool, I, you know, the system worked, I'm getting my music into a show. I want to get my music into their hands as fast as possible because it's already done. It's ready to go. I just need to where to send it. And so the fact that two people never got back that I had to follow up now, okay, maybe it went to spam or something, but you know, if you're sending and corresponding with important things, especially income related, check your spam folder, you know, like, I mean, if mine went in there, imagine how many other important emails could be in there, you know? Yeah. Um, your uncle died. You inherited $3.7 million. You got yeah. 30 days to respond. Oops. Yeah, exactly. Like, get, get back to us, let us know. And, you know, on the publishing side of things, like, I did not have time to mess around. I had two, I had 48 hours to turn this stuff around. So there wasn't time for me to follow up. Did you check your spam folder? Did you sign that? It was like, hey, here's what you need to do. You got 48 hours to get it back to me. If you don't get it back, sorry, you'll have to wait till the next day. There wasn't, there wasn't time for apologies. There wasn't time for me to explain how the system worked. I had 48 hours to turn it around and that was that, you know, there was not there, you know, I was busy putting the playlist together, making sure that the flow was together. Everything was mastered, uh, you know, somewhat sequentially so that a music supervisor could open up my playlist and literally send it to her editor and put it right into the show. That's what I was concerned with because that was my job. My job is not to explain how a publishing contract is written, how it works, how to manipulate a file, how to sign a contract, how to like, there isn't time for that. So that's what members can do to be ready if your music gets forwarded and gets accepted by a publisher, have it ready to go. Make sure you understand all this stuff and you're, you're ready to go. It doesn't need to be done like in seconds. I'm not saying do a, do a sloppy job of anything, but I think 48 hours is more than enough time to send an email. You know? Yeah. You would think I would, you know, I mean, kind of the industry standard amongst true professionals in the industry is an hour or two. Um, and, and you know, taxi, I do understand that we're at the intersection of taking people who technically are amateurs. Amateurs meaning that you haven't earned any money with your music yet. That's the definition. It's not like, oh, you're amateurish in the way you play or compose. But we're at this kind of unique intersection of amateur musicians who've not 
been on the business, not haven't made any money with their music, and we're introducing them to the very professional side of the industry that expects our members to act like the professionals that they deal with 99% of the time during the course of business. So it really hurts the reputation of our members when some of them um, don't take care of business it would lead the other libraries or other music supervisors to believe that all of taxi members could be like that potentially uh and, and, right. and that's scare them that off you don't need a lot of music ability to rectify like you don't right. need to be a good musician or a good producer to send an email or to reply in a timely manner um and again we can get into the contract thing in a minute but the the most of the publishing agreements that I've seen, including my own, is pretty standard. Like mm -hmm. you're going to have a non-exclusive contract, you're going to have an exclusive contract. You should be familiar with it already, and then you're, what can stick out is anything that sticks out, and that's what you question. But you should already be familiar with that process. And if that's a sticking point and you need a day to get into that, then that's fine, but we don't always have it. You know, like I didn't have three days to explain the, the, how the system works to, to, to people. So and It's not that you're being a hard ass about it. It's just right. nobody in the industry really has that time. Yep. And let's, let's look at another industry. Um, let's say people are trying to get on the PGA Tour. You may be a spectacularly good golfer. You may be better than the people who win the cup. But if you don't show up on time for, you know, the trials, if you don't fill out the paperwork correctly, if you show up in a pair of cut-off jeans and a regular T-shirt, not a collared shirt, which are required on most golf courses, uh, if you don't follow those simple things, you are never going to play on the tour, even though you might be a far superior golfer to Tiger Woods. Not probable, but it could happen. Um, so... Yeah, what you're saying is not unexpected, nor is it unique to the music industry, like you in particular, or any other supervisor or library owner is, is being difficult about this. It's just conducting business in the business that you so badly want to be in. Um, let's talk about, so after following up with the other two people, one didn't have a PRO account, and know how to send files. So that's quite amazing to me because we do so much education on Taxi TV in our newsletter, um, on the forum. Um, I, I want to have, you know, I want to play in the PGA Tour, but I don't know anything about golf clubs. Um, right. I'd like to play shortstop for the Boston Red Sox, but there's more to it than buying a glove and buying the uniform. Like, I, you need to have the ability to go you know, do those, do the, that skill set, you know? Yeah. So, um, and, and two, you never heard from at all. And I actually read that and I thought to myself, I know why. It could be spam folder, but in the past we've had problems and I've reached out to our members, go, why didn't you respond? And the answer I got, it was admittedly a small sample size of people, you know, on that particular day that I got this answer, I think I called 20 people over the course of a day. And several, if not many of them, had the same answer, which just stupefied me. And the answer was, I didn't respond because I was scared. Yeah, that's exactly the face I made. And I'm you like... You did, did the hard part. You got, you composed a great piece of music. It got past our screeners. It got forwarded to the publisher. The publisher wants it. Now they're just saying, just send it over. Like, 
all the hard work is done. And I said, why were you afraid? Well, I was afraid they're going to rip me off. Why were you afraid they're going to rip you off? Because my entire life as a musician, all I've ever heard is negative stuff about the industry and how everybody's out to rip you off. What a lot of people aren't really aware of is the film and TV side is a completely different animal than the record side of the industry. Different rules, different regulations, different people, different mores, all that stuff. And um, nobody's going to rip you off over a 90-second instrumental cue. <laughs> Why would they? It's just not worth it for them. Oops, got to mute Plus, I'm phone. not even sure you would. I'm still getting that loop back in here. I don't know if anybody else is or not. Like your voice is repeating. I don't know. Uh, it's um, not? No. Let me check one other uh, yeah. thing to make sure I've got it turned off. Audio mixer. Yeah, you should be off. Yeah, there's still that bad echo on my end. I'm sorry. Not that I, I, I don't know what to do to fix it on the fly, but it sounds good. Um, okay. Can you guys in the audience hear it okay? I can't see your, uh, the chat room right now, but if you could let Liz know and then she can come in and just give me a thumbs up if the audio is good on your end. Um, okay, so from the eight people I contacted, three replied immediately with the signed contract and sent the requested deliverables. That's deliverables is a fancy way of saying sent me the, the mixes and the variations, any, you know, like alt mixes or cut downs I needed in a zip file in a timely professional manner. Well, yay. That's the way it should work. So if those there three should have been 10 of those. Right. If those three people got it right, why couldn't everybody else? Um, I followed up vigorously with the other five people because this was a time-sensitive submission. Um, I needed to get the files to the music supervisor on Friday, and my initial emails went out on Tuesday afternoon. Okay, this next one, I think a lot of people might be confused by, so I'm glad we've got this opportunity to discuss it. One of the people sent their PRO, meaning Performance Rights Organization, again, ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, um, sent their PRO account number versus the requested IPI number. Let's talk about that. Explain the difference between a PRO number and an IPI number. Yeah, your IPI number is the um, interested party information number. It is not your account number. Um, and just by luck, I was looking at the number, and since I'm BMI and this person was BMI, I the number just looked off to me. So sure enough, I looked it up because you can do that. And it was wrong. It was their account number. And if you have been putting your account number on your in your metadata, whether it's in the AIFF file, which is what I use, uh, or on your metadata, or when the publishers ask you for your IPI number, you've been putting your account number, there's a chance you're not going to get paid because that's not the account number is not what gets you paid. It's your IPI number. So, uh, and again, it was just luck and I just, it didn't look right. And I was like, maybe I should follow this up because the last thing I want to do is for somebody to sign their music to me and then I get it placed in a show, but then for some reason they don't get paid. Now it's not my fault that you didn't put the, the wrong number there. And I just happened to catch it this time. But how many of you out there have been putting your account number down instead of your IPI number? Now it's an easy mistake. But it's a mistake, and it's one of the things of the many that could prevent you from getting paid. So like I said, you write a nice piece of music, you get past the screeners, 
You get it to a publisher. The publisher goes, oh, the music's great. I'd like to sign it. I give it to a music supervisor. The music supervisor loves it and puts it in a show. The show airs, and six months later, you don't get paid. So what happened? Well, the problem could be in the metadata with that IPI number. So, like, again, it's it's a mistake. It's not a big deal. You don't get, you know, you don't get punished or sent to the principal's office, but it'll prevent you from getting paid, <laughs> and it's avoidable, you know? Where do it's they get the, Where do they get their IPI number? Right from your uh, BMI statement or your account, but it's it's an IPI number. It's not your account number. So um, this is really different. This is equivalent to you go in for your annual physical, and a week later you get a really sad phone call from your doctor saying, "I'm so sorry to have to tell you this, but you've got stage four pancreatic cancer. You got three months on the outside." And then you find out you actually don't have pancreatic cancer and you're not dying. They got you confused with another patient because somebody right. who was entering your HMO number on, you know, in the database was off by one digit or something like that. Right. You know, it, I was going to equate it to like a credit card payment. Like, you know how you like you're late on your credit card payment. Yeah. They're actually hoping that you're late on your credit card payment so they can charge you a late fee and interest. Well, BMI isn't going to charge you a late fee, but they're not going to pay you money that's yours. They get to keep it while you figure out what happened. So, you know, I'm not going to equate it. They're not as evil as credit card companies, but they're holding your money while you figure out what happened and you figure out your mistake. And that's one of the things that I just happened to find by luck. I wasn't double checking. Like on my list of things to do every day, it is not double check other people's <laughs> IPI number. I don't get up in the morning and go, oh, I should go through Groove Tower and find up, you know, uh, everybody's IPI number and make sure everything's. That's not my job. Right. You know, I expect the members to know their own IPI number. Honestly, sometimes I worry. Maybe I'm wrong about this. Um, I, I musicians, and I understand this. Musicians are very proud of the product they make, of the creations they create. That is almost their entire focus. Is my music is so good. And I think that a lot of people don't pay a lot of attention to the business side of things because they think that people in the industry are going to give them a pass because they love the music so much. Oh, don't worry about it. I'll take care of that for you. Don't worry about this. I'll take care of that for you. No. The people who are making, you know, 50 grand a year, 100 grand a year, 200 grand a year with film and TV music are dotting all those I's and crossing all those T's correctly. They may have made one mistake in the beginning, maybe two but they figured it out pretty quickly. They asked their fellow taxi members um, in the forum, am I doing this right? We have all these resources for you guys to get it right. So there's really not much of an excuse, but if you work in isolation, if you're shy and you're not gonna go on the forum, you're not gonna ask these things, and if you've never done it before, I would say there's a reasonably good chance you're gonna make a mistake. And how would you know until I didn't get paid? BMI sucks. ASCAP sucks. They didn't send me my money. Well, they didn't send your money because they didn't know who to send it to or where to send it because you didn't fill out the form correctly. <sighs> okay. So now moving on from the IPI number, both of them, meaning both of the people that, um, oh, and two of them didn't have their legal name on the taxi account. Both of them yeah, had some- Yeah, that's the thing we have to talk about. Because uh, it's been yeah, driving me nuts across the board at this desk. Um, 
I guess if you want to have a stage name or something and that somehow benefits your career, then that's great. Go for it. Use your stage name. But there comes a time and a place where you have to use your legal name. And this, again, it, it might not prevent you from, well, it will prevent you from getting paid if you don't have the right name on your PRO account. But my point is, is that there's a time and a place for your stage name versus your legal name. Your legal name should be used in your PRO account. That's the same name that should appear on the contract with the publisher. And that's the same name that should appear in the metadata for your files. And those three things really should match. Now your taxi account, it should be your legal name in there as well, because we give that information to publishers when they ask us, that's the name we give them. So I've already, even when I put the top 10 together, I got one name on the file, there's another email on the thing, and then there's a stage name. And next thing I know, I don't even know who I'm talking to half the time. So it, again, it's not a big deal, it's not a crisis, but a little bit of consistency there will help you look more established. Uh, you know, don't pretend to be your own manager or have somebody else do it. It's, it takes time. Like we need to deal right with the people um, directly with the artist. That needs to be the signature on the contract. Because like I said, when I had a 48 hour turnaround, I didn't have time to track down and make sure the person I was talking to was the person's name who was on the contract, whose music is here and that's their legal name. And this is the name that's on there. If you have a different name on, on a contract, a different name with taxi, and a different name on your PRO, it's nothing but problems waiting to happen. And again, BMI will hold your money or ASCAP or whatever PRO you are, will hold your money while they figure it out. And it's up to you to straighten it out. And they're just gonna sit there and hold your money. <laughs> oh, I've got the members money. This is awesome. I hope they I hope they never figure it out because I just get to keep it, you know? Well, and that's what's they happen. don't keep it, keep it, but they make interest on it. That they get Absolutely. to keep. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And money that they don't, it's my understanding, I think I'm right about this, uh, whatever money is left over at the end of the year or at some point in time that's unattributable, that they can't distribute to musicians, gets distributed in other ways to like, you know, who had the most radio spins this year? Here's a bonus. Well, that bonus came from that money they weren't able to distribute to you because they didn't know who you were, where to find you, or what your IPI number was. It's very sad. You know, maybe, I have an idea, Craig. Why don't we make a submission checklist for the members? So, and we can put that somewhere on the submission thing. Uh, I have to think about this. But a submission checklist for the members. Did you do this? Did you yeah. do that? Um, there you go. See, that's what we're all about, helping you guys but you gotta let us help you. Uh, yeah, and I put that in the in some of my responses too. Like when people say, "Oh, I, you know, I'm not getting any forwards, or I'm getting forwards and I'm not getting paid, or this, that, and the other thing," I say, "Well, have you have you done your part? Have you checked out the forums for people who have made this mistake before you? Have you gone to YouTube? Have you checked out Michael's Taxi TV? Whether every week you have somebody on here that we can all learn something from. I watch it, and I'm established, and I'm doing well, and I watch Taxi TV because." You hit on topics every week that there's stuff that I can learn from. So I, I, I would expect that the members would at least take the minimum amount, minimum, haven't even been drinking yet, I swear, the minimal <laughs> amount of effort to educate yourself on what you need to become successful. And I don't think watching an hour long video once a week um, to better your career or give yourself some more information 
is asking too much. We're not even asking you to read anything. Tune in here four o'clock every Monday, listen to what Michael has to say, and you will learn something that will help you be more successful. Or I'll listen leave it at that. And listen to the podcast while you, you can do to be more successful. Listen to the podcast while you're commuting to work. Just hear the audio only. Uh, you know, we, we get emails from people and, and some younger members of staff say, oh my gosh, I can't believe you do a 90 minute show. Who's got that amount of time? But they'll binge four hours of Netflix that won't move their career forward one inch on the same evening. We're handing it to you on a silver platter, but you at least have to pay attention in order to learn what we're yeah. handing you on the silver platter. And you don't yeah. even have to be a taxi member to learn this stuff from us. No, and you can YouTube, get it for free. Let's say, you, let's say you don't want to sit through the, the boring podcast with your head screener. So go on YouTube and search for something else. There's a search bar there. Like if you're just like, I can't stand when he has our head screener on. He's preachy and he's, uh, he wears a black shirt. I don't know, whatever. Search for whatever topic pertains to you. Like if you're struggling with endings on a song, search Michael Laskow endings or, or in this case, publishing contracts like if you can't get past exclusive versus non-exclusive, which we need to talk about that as well, search for that on YouTube and that little search bar that you can find something that pertains to you that you can find beneficial and you can skip. And I, I understand we're putting a code at the bottom now too, where we put topics are at 30, you know, at 30 minutes, yeah. Michael and Craig talk about this. So you, you know, it's even making it more targeted for what you need. Absolutely, yeah. If you don't want to watch the whole show, go in, uh, look underneath the video and whatever that's called, uh, that little section. And we've got, you know, at one minute and 42 seconds, here's a topic. At three minutes and 48 seconds, there's a topic. So all you have to do is click, go right to it. Um, yeah, and don't search for happy ending because that'll be a completely different yeah, that's, result. That's a, that's a different website. <laughs> all right. Well, glad we got that established. All right. Make sure uh, my wife hears that. I'm doing research for taxi, uh, Angela. There you go. Um, you know, it's funny. Every year we call the last panel of the road rally. It's a listening panel where we actually have a lot of fun. We get a little goofy and it's a bunch of great people on the panel. And we call it the happy ending listening panel. And, and every now and then somebody will walk up to me and say, I think you should change the name of that. But yeah, what are you we, guys talking about? Yeah. We call it the happy ending because we're so happy that the road rally is ending after, you know, all the lead up to it and all the work that goes into it. Which, by the way, this year's road rally is November 3rd through the 6th here in Los Angeles. Free for every taxi member and each taxi member gets to bring one guest. It's at the lovely Westin LAX Hotel. The rooms are about half the price uh, of normal and they're still even way cheaper. I just saw another music event that's happening um, at one of the Weston sister hotels and the, the rooms are, I, uh, gosh, I don't know, at least like $75 a night more for a, a virtually identical room. So it's a great deal and you don't need to rent a car because you fly into LAX if you're from out of town, you take a free shuttle over to the hotel, it's a five, 10 minute ride, boom, you're there. Easy breezy, you will love it. We're going into our 26th road rally. We got wow. it down to a science. And by the way, I forgot to announce this to staff today that we're already, you know, two months out, we're already um, at 1,300 people registered for the road rally. And I think we've only sent out one or two emails about it. So there you go. Go to your taxi member profile page, and there's a link there where you can sign up for the rally. Also, the rooms at the hotel, we downsized our block because we thought COVID would keep 
that we wouldn't have the attendance we normally do. Turns out, once again, I was wrong. The attendance is actually up over previous years and the room sales at the hotel are going like gangbusters. And because of that, we downsized our block. So now I have to wait and see if they can sell us back some of, of the block that we would normally have. So you can't count on getting a room unless you act quickly. Now, buy it now. <laughs> Reserve your room now. I think you give them a credit card number, but they don't charge the room unless you're, you show up or you're a no-show with no cancellation. All right. Um, so Craig says, uh, we didn't talk about this one yet. File manipulation. Members need to be well-versed at file manipulation um, and know how to send MP3, WAV, AIFFs, or any requested file format. So let's talk about the file formats first. That's file formats first. There's an alliterative little tongue twister. Um, and then we'll move on to talk about alt mixes and stems should be ready to go. So uh, people often ask me, why do you guys only let us upload mp3s at taxi um, and, and whatever people upload it will automatically convert to a high-res mp3 and just so you guys know mp3s are kind of a, an industry standard for sending files around because they're smallish um, and they're easy to send back and forth it's not uncommon, I'd say it's somewhat common, that libraries will reach out and say, yes, I'd like to sign you, now send me the waves, now send me the AIFS. But for listening purposes, to judge something, they're not gonna listen to it and go, well, I think I'll take a pass. Gosh, if only that were a wave file, you know, just had- Yeah, that won't happen. Yeah, they don't care. Um, they just wanna hear the piece of music, then get the higher quality audio. So, what do you mean by file manipulation? Okay, each library has like their own delivery requirements, okay? Uh, I prefer AIFFs because it's a lossless WAV file and the metadata travels is, with the file. What does lossless mean for those who don't know? Uh, it's not compressed. There's no sacrifice to the auto, audio quality from your final bounce. Um, some of the libraries I work with prefer WAV files. They don't like it when information is attached to the AIFF, that's fine. That's library personal preference. I think most of the time you're going to find libraries either want an AIFF or a WAV file. None of them are going to really want an MP3. That's just for listening and preview. Right. Um, I prefer AIFFs because you can embed the metadata directly into the file. I like that though. The metadata travels with the file. So that's what I like. Not everybody, not every library likes that. A lot of them like WAVs for different reasons, whatever. It's all fine. Um, but you should be prepared to give the library whatever they want. If you have a if you bounce the files out of Logic or Cubase or Pro Tools, whatever you use, to a 2448 WAV file, that's great. But if certain libraries want an AIFF, you should also be prepared to deliver an AIFF. The delivery requirements are what you need to deliver to the library. That is you holding up to your end of the bargain. And manipulating those files, it takes a few minutes. It's not a big deal. It's not scary. Um, if you're well-versed in your own DAW, just export it as the desired file, file format. If you don't, if you have a wave and you need an AFF or you have an AFF and you need a wave, there's websites you can go to that will convert it for you that are also lossless. They'll do the conversion, but you have to do a little homework on your end. There's a bunch of ways to do it, all of which are good. Um, you could do it in GarageBand. I mean, there's, there's little apps and music players on both Mac and PC that are free that'll do it, but there's no one way to do it. There's a bunch of easy ways to do it, but that's, again, something that, 
there isn't time to explain. Um, a publisher is not going to call a member and go, listen, go to this website, upload your wave, download the IFF, put your meta. It's not going to be like that. It's like it, there isn't time to do that for 50 people, you know? Um, so right. that's they're not being hard asses about this. They just literally right. don't have the time. So they will almost always default to the people that know the drill already, which is why some of our listings say that they want to work with people who know the drill. You know what? This whole little episode we're talking about right here, this little exercise, this experiment that you did proves when we put in the listings at the company's request or behest that they want, only want to work with people who are experienced with music libraries and quote unquote know the drill. Ooh, air quotes, got to do them there. If I do them out here, nobody sees them. Um, knows the drill. So right. that's the reason they don't want these yeah. things to go wrong because they just might as well keep working with the people that they know who know the drill. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's talk about alt mixes and stems should be ready to go. Do you have, can you venture a guess? Cause I honestly don't know the answer to this. Um, how many companies, what percentage of companies, libraries out there want alt mixes and stems at the point of- A large of portion of them do, and I'll tell you why. Because sometimes when they're mixing a TV show, uh, if there's a scene again that escalates, and if for some reason your track doesn't have the built-in developmental arc that we preach to everybody about, what they'll do is they'll start with maybe the no drums mix or the strings only mix, and then they'll add the stem of whatever they, so they'll build their own developmental arc into the track if you didn't. And sometimes they'll use like the no drums mix and then they'll bring the drums in halfway through. Then they'll use the full mix by the end. And I've seen them do it because I've seen the cue sheets. My wife does a lot of cue sheet manipulation and uh, cue sheet uh, reconciliation for a lot of libraries now. And I see how these cues are used. So that's why they want alternate mixes and sometimes stems. Uh, sometimes either they don't like your mix or they really like the song, but they wish that the cowbell part wasn't there or the xylophone part wasn't there or or the vocals weren't there or that lead guitar is too is shredding too much and they just don't want that part so they'll they'll literally go in and rebuild it right in pro tools and just take that track out or mute it so they want if they like the song and they want to use it but there's one thing they don't like they want the stems available to be able to rebuild it or the alternate mix that might not have it in the first place so my advice is to when you're doing the track the very first time uh, give yourself at least three, four, five alternate mixes if possible. And then while you're exporting those, export the stems as well. That way it's already done. You don't have to go back and try to find it six months later and, oh, my computer crashed and, oh, it's a different drive. I have to load the session. If you do it right the first time. And again, I've learned this through trial and error too, of libraries yelling at me. Okay. So don't think I've always got it right the first time either. I didn't. I've had plenty of libraries in my grill going, Craig, we let song but you didn't do alternate mixes and you know the drums were too loud because you're an idiot and blah, blah, blah. no because so you're a just, drummer <laughs> yeah you know so you know i've learned from these mistakes and i'm trying to help your members avoid them so do it right the first time and you won't have to go back and fix it six months later great um explain the difference between stems and individual tracks back in my analog days of recording 
you had a kick drum track, you had a snare drum track, you had drums left and drums right, which in the earlier days when we only had 16 tracks, drums left and drums right were a combination, a stereo pair of tom-toms and hi-hats and maybe even, uh, I mean, tom-toms and cymbals and maybe even the hi-hat. Um, so those are tracks. A guitar, like the guitar that appears on the left, that's a guitar track. A guitar that appears on the right, that's a guitar track. A stem, is it not, like, let's hear just guitars, uh, basically a mix of only guitars top to bottom. Yeah. And then yeah, another so if you one that's it left and right. I would bounce that to one track with your. I mean, it, again, each library is probably going to have different requirements. You you could have a show just on this. Get all your different clients in here, and the library can each tell you how they want it. Um, I tend to not export the files with their effects. I tend to export them raw because, again, if you want to give a supervisor, I'm sorry, if you want to give an audio editor the ability to rebuild your track. They would really only do that if there was something they didn't like about your mix to begin with. So I wouldn't export my effects. If they wanted to use their own reverb, that's a very easy thing for them to add. Uh, they wanted spring reverb on the guitar versus the plate that I used or whatever, you know. Uh, so how do they would, cut then? How do they cut between a, a stem, you know, a, wouldn't they be editing if they had the full mix and then they were just doing like an eight, eight bar thing in the middle where they just went guitars only and the guitars are dry there. So that creates a little more work for the editor because now they've got to choose a reverb that's aesthetically pleasing and sounds like it's cohesive with the rest of the track. Right. But that's what audio editors do. That's kind of their gig, you know, and they're, they're a lot more expedient about it. Again, that's what they do. Right. Um, so, and again, if the tracks all started from the same point, you can, a lot more leeway you're just muting and unmuting and stuff like that so it's really not that big of a deal for somebody who's real proficient at pro tools or avid or whatever they're using or um right if that's all they do all day long every day they're lightning fast yeah so it. just give them what they need if you give them a bunch of options they'll find you got to give them reasons to use your music not to not use it you know um and if you give them all the tool oh you don't like my lead oboe part well here's an oboe uh, a version without the oboe or here's the individual stems just Build your own mix, you know, make it easy for them. Right. Um, and again, I do it by instrument. I don't, when I do, um, when I'm exporting stems, I'll put all the drums on one thing. I don't give them, I have 14 or 15 mics when I do a drum session. I don't give them the hi-hat, the tom one, tom two. I just bounce it all to one stereo track. So they've got drums, bass, guitar, synth, horns, vocals, backup vocals, whatever, you know. Um, and you do it in stereo, I would imagine. Yeah. So going back to the guitar reference I just used, if yep. you had, you know, little chinky chinky things, yep. uh, chicken picking on the left and brown on the right, and they're stereo pair, so you would send them that. You wouldn't bounce it to mono and, yeah. I mean, it. maybe I would put, I would export the bass in mono because that's just one track. Right, maybe. but I'm saying you send them the same way they appear in the mix. If the bass would appear in mono in the mix, you would send them the bass. You can't exactly. have stereo bass for part of it and mono bass for the other part. Correct. I mean, you could, but it would probably not be really, really good. Well, good. All right. Glad anyway, we talked about Anyway, the point of all that was do that while you're doing your bouncing, while you're doing it the first time. Right. You've got your session open. It's fresh. Don't try to do it a year later when somebody asks. It, it's much easier if you just do it and put it all in a file. And at that point, you're just manipulating the files. You're just, you might have to convert it from wave to AIFF or vice versa, but at least you've already got it and it's it's quicker. So again, that's that comes in the being prepared version of our show here today is like, 
that's something you can do in advance um, so that it's done for when a publisher asks. And you're for absolutely it. right about doing it in the moment. And another important thing, if I may put on my audio engineer hat for a moment, that is don't change the levels. When you start muting other stuff, and let's say you're just sending them the guitar stem of that left and right stereo pair of guitars, don't change the levels trying to get your your two mix meters to look at the same level that the whole mix was because then when the editor cuts it into the whole mix, it's going to be, the guitars are going to be screaming loud. So wherever they were, leave the faders where they are, just mute everything else, hit play and hit bounce, boom, done. Good okay. advice. Yep, can take the boy out of the studio, but you can't take the studio out of the boy. Um, by the way, I'm going to go off on a little tangent, which I've never done before in Taxi No, it never team. happens on this show. <laughs> <laughs> this is an audio engineering thing. I'm so tickled pink about this. Um, about 10 days ago, two weeks ago, I was watching a video that one of our members sent me of Bob Clearmountain um, talking about and playing tracks from Born in the USA, which he mixed, um, Bruce Springsteen, in case you didn't know that. And uh, I've met Bob a couple of times. I met him in 1984-85 when he actually walked into my control room in the studio in New York because he was in the next control room. He walked in and said, do you mind if I ask how you got that drum sound? And I'm nice. like, Bob Clear, Yeah, it was, man. It's, I had to try so hard not to look like, <laughs> anyway, I was cool. Uh, anyway, Clear Mountain is a very low-key, understated guy, very nice person. And uh, he hung out for like 15 minutes, and then off he went back to work on his own mix in the control room next door. Um, and then I met him again. We had him a as an interview at the Road Rally probably like 10 years ago or more. And so somebody sent me a link the other day and said, check this out, Bob Clear Mountain in his home studio. I'm presuming he lives like in Santa Monica or Malibu or Beverly Hills fairly large house because he's got a room that's legitimately the size of a regular control room with an SSL, looks like a 48 input wow. uh, E or G series console, a large format mixing desk. And he's going through the motions and it, it was the guy whose name escapes me from uh, Sweetwater does all the interviews. The guy with the white hair is great interviewer and he says to him, so those monitors up there on your meter bridge I mean, you could get any monitors you want. You could get Genelax, you could get, you know, just any crazy, all Clear Mountain would have to do would be send an email. I'm Bob Clear right. Mountain. Would you like me to mix on yeah, your- Yeah, be overnighted to him the next day, right? Yeah, $30,000, you know, near field monitors. And he's got a pair of Yamaha MSP7s, which were made after Yamaha made the NS10. Now, Clear Mountain almost single-handedly made NS10s, which are, right there next to me in my fake control room, green screen control room. Uh, I actually have NS10s in my office. NS10s are not famous for being great sounding speakers. They're rather boring. And if you can make something sound good on an NS10, it'll probably translate well to a car radio or a home stereo or a laptop or earbuds, whatever. So uh, Clear Mountain goes, yeah, these speakers, the MSP7s, it's like uh, Yamaha didn't make them for very long and it's really hard to get replacement parts for them. Uh, can't get them. So of course I had to Google Yamaha MSP7 and I found a pair for sale on Reverb 
And I reached out to the lady. She happened to be in Miami, nicest lady, um, very, very talented lady named Beth Cohen, who is uh, a member of the band. She's rhythm guitar, keyboards, and vocals in the band Boston, um, has nice. tour toured the world with Boston. Uh, nice. And she has also toured with Barry Gibbs, singing all the Barbra Streisand parts and, and probably some of the BG parts as well. But she does duets playing, you know, doing the, the role of Barbra Streisand, which cool. not a lot of singers can pull that off well. Uh, anyway, she and I, you know, chatted about people that we know in common because she lives in Miami and knows a lot of people criteria. Bottom line is we did a little trade and I now am looking on my desk at a pair of Yamaha MSP7s. And how I'm, do you like them? I don't know because they just came in on Friday and I'm oh, waiting okay. for the cables to show up, which are showing up today. Um, anyway, they're about the size of an NS10. They're self-powered. They weigh 17 pounds each. They're like a little wow. bit bigger than a bread box. And they weigh 17 pounds. Anyway, I digress. I'm just very excited. You know, anything with a microphone. Yeah, a microphone, a wire, a speaker, or a fader. I get very excited about that stuff. That's like porn for me, I guess. Um, gear porn. Anyway, um, so Beth Cohen, if you're watching today's episode, thank you for being a gracious, wonderful, talented lady. And I can't wait to hear the speakers. Um, okay, so uh, now let's talk about the legal consequence. Oh, we talked about not using your name across the board already. Yeah. Um, now let's talk about exclusive versus non-exclusive. We've been talking about this subject for so many years that I always feel like everybody knows this. But you know what? There's always a new crop of new members who aren't familiar with the ways of the music licensing industry, and they don't understand what exclusive or non-exclusive is. So why don't you give them the rudimentary explanation and then we'll get into a little back and forth about it. Okay, I'm sure there's people who could do a better job explaining this than me, um, but the nuts and bolts of it is are, uh, again, haven't been drinking, the nuts and bolts of it are, uh, if you sign a non-exclusive agreement, then you should stick with non-exclusive agreements. You can sign a bunch of non-exclusive agreements because they're non-exclusive on one particular piece of music you're talking right, right? on one on or for one title typically okay. is how that works you may not then sign that to an exclusive agreement because if it's already signed to something non-exclusively it means that it can be signed and signed again an exclusive agreement means that you're only giving that piece of music that title to one publisher exclusively now it may or may not have a time limit my contract has a three-year uh, time limit and it renews automatically every two years after that unless you want it back that is a very standard agreement um, so if you are not familiar with publishing agreements and how they work go online and find some and read them uh, download an exclusive contract I'm sure if you google one you can find one an exclusive publishing agreement um, they probably have them at BMI and ASCAP if I'm not mistaken you could probably download one to look at or at least a sample um, of each so you understand what happens if there's something in that contract that you don't understand you should ask an attorney a copyright attorney a music copyright attorney not all attorneys know everything about everything i well, know we hold yeah. them in high regard but go no ahead. we don't <laughs> yeah no i don't either but <laughs> but get a music copyright attorney to explain it to you don't ask 
Oh, my friend, he's really smart. No, he's probably or, not. Or that don't smart. ask. Don't ask Aunt, Aunt Millie. She doesn't know anything about copyright either. Ask a copy a music copyright attorney if there's something you don't understand. Um, but I've I, gotten bad advice from a real attorney, not a copyright attorney, but somebody early on told me, "Oh, I would never sign that," and I was like, "Whoa, an attorney said that. Maybe I should not sign it." If I had listened to him, I would have never had any residual income at all because copyright wasn't his specialty. He didn't even understand what he was reading, yet he was still barking advice at me. I want um, to take so, it one step further. Please. Frankly, there are, I would say, 95% of all entertainment and music-specific attorneys, you should not go to them for advice on production, music, library contracts. Yeah, because they. Thing. It's yeah, it is totally different than signing a publishing agreement right. with like a Warner Chapel or Sony ATV or Universal Music um, for the record side of the industry. That's a different animal. And those attorneys will say, oh, yeah, I do film and TV. Well, yeah, they license a Michael Jackson song for a movie that is film and TV, but it's not your little corner of film and no, TV. It's different. It's, so you want an attorney that has a lot of familiarity if they if, if when you say the attorney have you worked with production music libraries and if you see any little bit of glazing over in their eyes and they go yes they're lying to you <laughs> yeah, get someone else yeah get somebody who specializes they're very ask, you know i have i have some really smart family members really smart family members but they don't specialize in music production copyright i wouldn't ask yeah somebody who's a dentist, just because they're smart, I'm not getting a molar filled. I'm not getting, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting a deep cleaning. I, I'm dealing with copper. I'm not doubting that that person's not smart. I'm just saying this isn't really their area. So you gotta make sure that if there's something in an exclusive or a non-exclusive contract that you don't understand, you ask the right person the right question. I, I get stuff from members sometimes. They're like, oh, my, my uncle said I shouldn't sign this. What, your uncle's a, I mean, what is he? You're better off asking highly experienced taxi members who are on the forum. Right. Because they've already been through it. Frankly, you could save money. Not that I'm allowed legally or technically to say don't use a music attorney. Do what a lot of the smarter taxi members have done, which is they hire, a mus uh, they hire an attorney that's good with production music library contracts to go over the first deal they're ever offered drop 500 bucks on that little experience and have them go literally sentence by sentence explaining, here's what this means, take yeah. notes. And then in the future, if you, cause you're gonna see other contracts, it'll have similar stuff, but maybe not worded the same. Then you go online and ask other people on the forum. Right, but at um, least you have a basic knowledge. That yeah. comes with what I was saying, like do, do uh, give yourself, arm yourself with at least the basic knowledge uh, that you would need to succeed in this. Give yourself an edge to succeed once you've made it past our screeners and stuff. That's a huge accomplishment uh, to get to the library and then to ask or, or not not ask dumb questions. But if you come off as uninformed or ill-informed, not only is that not a good look for you, but it's probably not going to fare well for you. And again, there isn't time for a publisher to explain something to you that you should already know. True. Some will do it on rare occasions, but most prefer not to. Therefore, they default to the people they've worked with, who are your fellow taxi members who already know the drill. You know, they don't expect you to come in the door being omniscient. Is that the word I'm looking for? Knowing everything right out right. of the gate. Right. But if you're, you know, reaching out to them 
at 10 a.m., at 1.30 p.m., at 3.21 p.m., well, at 5.45 p.m. Right. Yeah, and, and all those questions, they're like, dude, or dudette, I can go to any other of the 3,000 composers in my catalog, mm -hmm. get music that will be equally as wonderful and not have to take the time to explain any right. of this. Some so libraries, just download some of them and read them. Like, I, I mean, yeah. I was able to get through most of both of them. There were parts that I didn't understand when I first read them, but I at least tried. Same thing with a real estate contract. If you ever buy a house, read the purchase contract. It's difficult, but you can do it. Like, it's not, it. you have to concentrate. I tell my daughter this. My daughter's reading the Harry Potter books right now, and she's, she's really starting to get into it. But she took some prodding as well to like, okay, Leave the cat alone, close your door, turn the music off, turn the TV off. Like, give yourself a chance at understanding this and focus. Like, read the book so that you understand the comprehension. It's the same thing when you're reading a publishing contract. It's the same thing when you're reading a purchasing contract for a house. It's difficult. It's written in legal jargon. But you can do it. You can do it. Sit down, block out the distractions, concentrate, and ask for help if there's something you don't understand. That is something that you can do to arm yourself with the you need to succeed and it's not that big of a deal if this is something you want to do and you want to make money at you need to understand what you're signing do you know last week our central air in our house in beautiful hot sunny southern california i do know because you told me <laughs> and, and it was shocking how much it cost to replace central air conditioning absolutely shocking but that's not the point of this. The point is when the guy came out and we were ready to sign the deal, the contract was 12 pages long and the tiniest little print you've ever seen to squeeze it onto those 12 pages. And after, well, first of all, he said, here you go, sign here and sign here. And I said, I don't sign it without reading it. And I could just see his demeanor, like his body yeah. language changed. Like, oh no, this guy's gonna read this oh, thing. Oh, you haven't read the standard HVAC agreement, Michael? Right. How dare you? So I literally said, here you go, have a bottle of water. And I sat yeah. there and read the thing. Um, and as I'm reading it, I thought to myself, this is much harder to understand than a production music library contract. So if you've ever replaced your air conditioner, the contract you signed, more complex than a production music library yeah, contract. The, and the agreements that most of our publishers have that you associate with, they're all variations of one another. There's no one that's like, oh my God, this one's so different than this. They're all a little different, but it there's also a kind of a standardized boilerplate format, much like when you buy a house, all those purchase agreements are relatively, right. sim relatively similar. So. Um, where did I leave off? Let's see. Okay, um, your deal, which everybody should know, Craig doesn't run listings and, and doesn't accept taxi member music. This is not a plug for his library. Um, members should, your deal for your library um, is a three-year exclusive deal, which renews automatically every two years. I didn't understand that. I would understand a three-year deal that automatically renews at two years, 11 months and 30 days, or 29 days, but why two years? So if it's a three-year deal, but it automatically renews at the end of year number two, then does it automatically renew for one year or for three more? Uh, it renews every two years after that. Again, I paid an attorney to write that document for me and to explain what would be best for me. That's one of the things your members should understand is that these publishing agreements 
they're written, they're written to protect the publisher. Right. Um, now, I've signed similar deals as a composer, just as you would sign for a publisher. But that is what my attorney advised me <coughs> was best for me. Uh, it's a three-year exclusive deal. And the reason I wanted a minimum of three years, I actually wanted more like five, because as you know, I, for some reason, the timeline to get paid for music seems to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It used to be you could get paid within a year, then it was 18 months. Now everything's leaning more towards two years till you see get paid. So I actually wanted it to be more like five years because to give a publisher a chance at placing your music, you really got to give them at least two years before you at least. And again, I wanted five. And my, my lawyer said to me, nobody's going to sign for five years. Um, so I said, okay, what can we do? And he said, let's do five and then it will remove, renew automatically for every two years. after." You mean that. do three, so do, 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 do. Yeah. do three. You said do five. I wanted to do a five-year contract. My right. attorney, but he said no. And then yeah. you said, so we did a five-year deal. He, we did a three-year contract that renews for every two years after that, which kind of gives me five unless they, but it gives members or, or composers an opportunity to give me written notice to get out at the three-year mark. If they have a better deal lined up for that particular piece of music, they can get it back after three years. Like if they haven't, if it's done nothing and I haven't sent it anywhere and it hasn't been locked or synced, they can have it back after three years if they want. It gives them an out. So it favors the composer. Uh, I'm going to reiterate this. We just talked about this, uh, not you and I, but somebody and I talked about this. I don't know, a few weeks ago. One of the reasons that people don't like put that libraries don't like putting reversion clauses in their contracts, even though they want, you got to understand virtually all library owners are themselves musicians, are themselves composers. Yeah, we've so, all signed similar deals. Yeah. Right. So they don't want to screw anybody just like they didn't want to be right. screwed when they were on the composer side of the coin. However, if your 92nd instrumental cue, which is not a hit record for Beyonce. Let's face it, it's a 90-second instrumental cue. It's relatively inconsequential, and you make your money by doing volume, not by having one big hit with one piece of music. So if a library, let's say, has 5,000, is that like a reasonable size for an independent library to have 5,000 pieces of music in it from maybe 1,000 or more composers? So if every one of those things had a reversion, then the library would reach out, need to reach out to the production companies that have edit bays with servers with all the music sitting on them in what they call a bin. And it's basically a big electronic button that for a given, let's use reality TV show, would have two, three, four, five different libraries worth of music in it. So ultimately 10, 20, 30,000 tracks, maybe even 100,000 tracks in there that are at their fingertips for, using, for doing these shows. If every one of those libraries had a reversion clause and had 1,000 or 2,000 or 3,000 composers in there with two or three or four or five or 10 pieces of music each, you can imagine that every day they would need somebody just to deal with all the stuff that's reverting back 
and reach out to every one of the shows using their catalog to say, okay, today we're taking out John Doe's track, which is number 39. We're taking out Susie B. Jones's track, which is number 2182. We're taking out Frankie Lyman's track. That's an actual guy. That's um, an actual guy, yeah. Yeah. By the way, the Frankie Lyman movie has our actual taxi. Our checker cab is in the movie, The Frankie Lyman Story. Um, just in case anybody wants to run out and like watch that on Netflix or go to Blockbuster and rent it on VHS. Uh, anyway, so you can understand that from the library's perspective, they're cool with being cool with you guys. They're not trying to screw anybody by not having a reversion in there. It's just unbelievably awkward. So what happens if you're a reality show music supervisor who lords over the three or four editors editing your show. You give them, these are the approved 2,000 tracks for our show, here you go, editors. And now, if that music supervisor has to let the editors know, by the way, these tracks are no longer available, or don't use that library today because we're in the middle of pulling tracks from it, um, they're just gonna move on to another library that's exclusive where they don't have that situation going on. So there's that. Um, okay, I am going to attempt to solve this problem so we can take some questions from our viewers. Okay. And I just don't know why this is, that the minute I launch my Google browser, the, the screen with Wirecast on it just goes flying off to the side. I'm guessing nobody told Liz that. Um, restore chat. Okay, let's do it like this. Mojo. I still kind of hear that loop, so yeah. Well, I as don't long think... as the people watching can't hear it, it's fine. But I have like I have like an echo. I have no idea why. Um. Okay. Uh, by the way, nice to see Mojo Bone in the room. Um, and I'm trying to see where you guys are. I think I'm at the bottom of the chat. Okay, so anybody that has a question, hello, Nancy Khalil. I can now, I now see a different screen. I'm now watching the YouTube screen of my regular browser. Um, anybody that's got a question for Craig or for myself, uh, preferably Craig, um, type the, the word question in all caps. Here's one from Christoph Scott to get the ball rolling. Michael, what if your stage name is on your BMI paperwork where it says pseudonym that's a great question christoph i mean pseudonym is probably okay but just make sure that uh, what you the account you create is under your own name like your legal name i mean pseudonym is fine that's a separate column right i don't know because i'm not a bmi writer <laughs> well it should be or, or an ascap, ASCAP writer or for that or whatever um Okay, Paul Croteau says, I use the analogy that making money as a TV composer is like owning a winery. It takes a lot of time before you get paid. Got to plant the grapes, grow the grapes, pick That's the grapes. That's a great analogy. Yep, yeah. it takes years. Here's a question from Pierre Venio. What is a sync agent and how are they different than libraries? I'm going to take that one if you don't mind. A, a, a sync agent doesn't own any of the publishing they only split um, the sync fee. So let's say you get something in a TV show and the sync fee is $2,500. They might take 50% of that. Some take 30, some take 50. The, I don't know 
any sync agents though that work with instrumental music that would typically get used in reality shows. They're more about songs than they are instrumental stuff. Um, Angela Fisher has a great question. Is there a way to get a list of top production music library attorneys? Um, no. Again, that's your department. Yeah, uh, there isn't a, a published list. I, I, I saw one in well, a You have some good contacts you could share. You have really smart attorneys you associate with. Absolutely. Um, and one of my all-time favorites is now retired, but he, he was just awesome. He's been on the show in the past. Um, why can I not think of her name? Um, she's, <laughs> she's on Taxi TV all the time. I always draw a blank on her name. Um, female attorney. She was on your show a few weeks ago. I know, and I'm just drawing a blank on her name. Can't think of it. Somebody type it in. Aaron, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Um, and what's Aaron's last name? It's so funny. There's like, have you ever have certain, Aaron Jacobson, thank yeah. you. Um, certain words that you can never remember. Aaron yeah. Jacobson's name is one of those for me. And she's actually a good friend, you know? It's like, we don't only talk about taxi kind of stuff. Um, Oh, here's another tip from Polly. Pro tip for new composers. When you sign an agreement with a library, they will ask you for a bunch of personal information like your full name, your social security number, your address, your phone number. This is normal. Yeah, because they want you to get paid. Yeah. Um, yeah, Aaron Jacobson, um, and I'm sure there are others. You can also go on the taxi forum and go into the music biz section yeah. and say, does can anybody recommend a music attorney that deals with production music libraries uh, that you've actually used, and you'll probably get three or four names. There yeah, aren't, there aren't a will, lot of them, though. Yeah, and I will probably need another attorney in the future because I would I would venture once a lot more music of mine gets put into circulation, I'm probably going to go with just a, an exclusive thing for at least the instrumentals, where once you give it to the library, that's it. It's, it's mine forever. Um, but again, I would like to make sure that composers and people that give me music are being rewarded and paid adequately for their contribution. That way I have something to offer and, and it'll keep the circle and keep the cycle going. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, music, good music attorneys and a list, a list of that, uh, that specialize in copyright might be useful to a lot of people. Uh, here's a question from Jim Stamper. I was shorted on my last BMI royalty statement because A&E was two years late sending the cue sheet. Uh, BMI says they will only go back one year to the statement period. Is there any recourse? Honestly, I don't have an answer. Uh, Ooh, anything that's, a, that's a question for a music attorney. I mean, yeah, uh, I, I would like there should be, but man, I'm telling you, I've just seen it on my own statements and I've been hearing from other that it's taking longer now than it used to even, I mean, COVID messed everything up a little bit, but even before that there was a lag that was kind of unexplainable. Like you used to be able to get paid within a year. Then it was 18, 18 months kind of became the standard for a very long time. Now it's more like two years and it's not uncommon to get paid more than two years later. It's frustrating, but it's also the truth. So it doesn't mean it's just happening to you. It seems to be industry-wide. It does seem to be industry-wide. And I have heard that there are still many, many people working for the PROs that are working remotely. Yeah, and as that's much probably as part of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, really proud of our staff for working remotely during COVID. We're back in the office now and have been for a year, I believe. But um, 
there's something about being able to stand up and walk 50 feet, go into somebody's office and have a conversation rather than picking up your phone, hitting WhatsApp. I mean, thank God for WhatsApp. It really saved our bacon during uh, the quarantine, but there's just something about being able to talk to people. So I think that the PROs, I, I've heard that they're way laggy. They were laggy before, now they're way laggy. And I think that working remotely may have something to do with it. Um, Paul's got another, oh, here's a question up here. Uh, can you explain, explain metadata, the importance of it when submitting to libraries? Yes. Yes. Okay. For one, I hate metadata. I hate dealing with it because it's a pain in the neck. I'm much more the creative side. I like creating music. I want everybody to hear how brilliant my compositions are and how awesome I am at all these instruments and putting people together and a producer and, 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 oh, it'll take care of itself. I don't have to deal with metadata. Just like you said, right? The music speaks for itself. It'll just all work out wrong, wrong. <laughs> you have to get the metadata, right? It's just as important as reading the contract. The metadata is so important now with thousands and millions of pieces of production music and AI still in somewhat of an infancy. Uh, in the meantime, the metadata has to be right. Again, it comes down to giving yourself an advantage um, by making sure that your AIFF file or your MP3, or if it goes into a spreadsheet, and if they're dealing with WAV files, the metadata goes into a spreadsheet. Wherever you enter the metadata, it is how music supervisors and libraries are going to find your music. Make sure it's categorized properly. Is it an instrumental tension cue? Is it pulsing? Is it a drone? Is it hip hop? Is it this. Put as much information that describes your piece of music into the metadata as possible. It's what helps the library find your music. It's what, it's what helps the supervisors find your music. And the metadata is paramount. It's an inconvenience. It's secretarial administrative work, but it is vital. And don't, don't blow it off and just think that because your music is great, somebody else will do it. They won't. You have to do it. It has to be right. And it's, it's vital. Uh, until AI is perfected and everybody's using it on their iPhone, metadata is what's going to help publishers, yeah. producers, people find your music. So it has to be right and it has to be thorough. And it's not just about finding, it's about getting paid when it does get used. Right. Because they want to know the splits. You've got to have, if they're three writers, they've all got to be in there and you have to say a third, a third, a third. Yeah, it's a pain um, in the neck. Don't get me it, wrong. It's time consuming. Uh, it's um, it's it's it, it, it's it boring. takes time to get it right. It's repetitive. What do you call it? It's, it's I, I hate dealing with it. Honest as a, as a creative does. type, it's it's a it's an inconvenience to us all. But it's it's paramount and it's a necessity. Um, and when it comes to putting things in there. This is a tough one. You know, you're talking about saying it's a dramedy cue. Um, people will stuff the keywords in the metadata, um, hoping that, well, you know, you could probably say it's an R&B song. Oh, or God, don't it, do that either. That then, then, yeah. Yeah, because all you're going to do is after two or three times that your things come up incorrectly, incorrectly. tagged. You just you then, skip your name. Right, exactly, exactly. And, and people don't believe us about things like this, but they need to. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm looking for the next question. Well, where'd it go? 
I just saw one that said QUESTION in all caps. Just the way I like them, and now there we go. Uh, is uh, Should IPI be included in that metadata? If they ask for it, yeah. I mean, I don't know how protected that number needs to be because, I mean, it's just used to identify you to your PRO. So it's not really like your social security number. Um, I don't, I mean, obviously anything personal, you want to keep it somewhat guarded, but make sure that the people that need it have it. You know, you can't go open up a credit card with your IPI number. So I don't, you know, again, you're right here at the brink of what I should be talking about, but I, I don't, I, I, make sure that your publishers and the people that need your IPI number have the correct number. This yeah. is how you're going to get paid. Um, by the way, uh, I had Keith LeBrant on. My apologies again for the audio last week. It was just awful on Keith's end. We tried everything, tried three different microphones, um, even tried a different computer memory service. We couldn't get it to work. Uh, anyway, so Keith invented a thing called Composer Catalog because he is a very prolific composer and needed to track who the co-writers were, what the metadata was, where it was pitched, where it was signed, which versions, how many lengths of it does he have, how many various mixes. So he invented Composer Catalog probably six, seven, eight years ago. A lot of our more vociferous members, throwing out the big words today, um, yeah. use it and they love it. So cool. I recommend it. I, do ne I never ever make a penny on recommending Composer Catalog um that's right we were supposed to give away a copy to whoever made the best comment on last week's show and there were only like two comments so let's do that this week hopefully keith didn't give one away in the comments for last week's show but if he did i'm sure i can talk him into giving one more away whoever posts the best comment under today's show on the archive on youtube um, you will get a free copy of Composer Catalog. But go to ComposerCatalog.com and check it out. Uh, Marion Laird says she finally got it. She's loving it. I understand Good. why. Um, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, it's amazing how many people can't type the word question. Hope I don't get any hate mail from this episode. Just trying to help everybody out with some of the things they can do to, uh, to improve. A question, will there be a metadata class at the road rally? Yes. Um, I don't know which day or who's teaching it, but I've had several people volunteer to do it. So the answer is yes. By the way, the last three weekends in a row, I have worked extensively on the road rally and I now have the main ballroom schedule figured out. And I know who is either going to be on the panels or who I'm inviting to be on the panels. And we're still in a holding pattern on Alan Parsons. Um, he, he's got us written in for that date, um, but he's waiting to see. He had, uh, had to cancel some tour dates and now they're rescheduling. So as long as he doesn't get a tour date, I've even agreed to fly him in. So let's say he's in like Milwaukee doing a show. I'm buying him a plane ticket to come to the road rally. If he's outside of the lower 48, he ain't getting a plane ticket. He's going to have to walk here. Um, anyway, I'm hoping it comes. I think that'll be a really interesting night. 
So now that I've got the main ballroom panels figured out, it allows me to work with Angel to schedule who's teaching which classes and when. So we're making good progress. Excellent. Um, yeah, it's, it's such a relief every year when I get that ballroom done. I've gotten it done earlier than other years. Just saw another question. Um, not a lot of questions today. I'm surprised. An IPI master class. I don't think IPI needs more than five it, minutes. It doesn't. Just make sure you know the difference between that and your um, account number. Paul Croteau. Uh, Croteau. I always mispronounce your name, Paulie. Sorry. Uh, think of your IPI number as your musical social security number. Yeah, that's a good explanation. You can't, go, you can't go down to Capital One and open up an account with your IPI number. So it's no. a little safer than your social security number. Arena <laughs> um, Shiloh says, Craig, you are lovely. You can do no wrong in our eyes. Wow. How about that? <laughs> I was expecting hate mail. Like, no, I can't you, believe you. You've got a fan base of one going on there, at least. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> um, Chet Nichols says, this has been one of the best Taxi TV episodes. Very informative. As good as it is, Chet, if you go back, I mean, we've got many of them that are this good. Not to take anything away from Crago, but... Uh, well, no, that's but, what I was saying, too. Like, when people email in with certain complaints and stuff or questions about things, I say hit the, hit the, the Michael Laskow Taxi TV and, and use the search bar on YouTube. I've done it. Like when you have something specific, there's a good chance you've already talked about it on the show. So just hit that search bar and, and you know, in whatever, whatever question you have. And there's a good chance you've probably devoted a whole show to it. Uh, here's a question from Peaches Krenko. Uh, I submitted to a taxi listing and I didn't use metadata. If it gets forwarded, am I screwed or will not get forwarded without metadata? We will forward it without metadata. Um, yeah. And, and, Usually it's just the MP3 that we forward. So when the when the publisher asks you for a wave or an AIFF, that's the important time to put the metadata in. Um, if it's an AIFF, you embed it right into the file. If it's a wave, they'll typically attach an Excel spreadsheet with an example for how you should fill it out. Um, some libraries will do it for you, but most of them now uh, ask <coughs> you to fill out the proper metadata. So when you get your publishing contract, that's the time to make sure that your metadata is correct and several people have asked that in the chat room you know do i need to do it now or need to do it later Not for taxi. The, just make right. sure your name is right for taxi that would help us out right uh, as far as identifying who again you are don't be like the the green blueberries uh, and tom jones and yeah, thomas e jones so yeah. yeah yeah it really makes life hard yeah um or the manager thing is getting hard here too like well, I'm managing so-and-so. Okay, well, I need the signature or the green light from the composer, you know. So. Um, should the following be changed to be exactly the same PRO account first name is... Question. I'm going to read this word for word. Should the following be changed to be exactly the same PRO account? First name is Michael, Lawrence, Kathleen, Cindy, Taxi account. First name is Mike, Larry, Katie. So he's saying, yeah, if you're submitting under Michael, don't use Mike sometimes and Michael other times. Right. If that's the question. And, and um right. Yeah, I, I think I name for, for taxi, for your PRO, for the name that goes on the publishing contract. It all has to be the same. 
Um, by legal name, do you mean full name, including middle name? Craig is talking more about consistency, yes. In my case, it'd be Michael Lasco. Do I include my middle initial? I rarely use it, but if I'm traveling and it's on my passport, I make sure the plane ticket also has my middle initial on it because I've actually been stopped while trying to board an international flight saying, I'm sorry, sir, your ticket doesn't have the same name on it as your passport. And I said, look, here's my driver's license. Here's my passport. They both said Michael D. Lasco. When I went online and booked the ticket, I just put Michael Lasco and they gave me a really hard time. They had to pull a red coat over and uh, get me some sort of, you know, papal dispensation to get on that plane. That's yeah, I don't, quite... You know, again, just I, I think as long as it matches your PRO with your publisher, with the metadata that you put into the file that you sent to them, as long as those three things are, are the same, I think you're in good shape. You know, I don't use my middle name. Um, it is on my passport. But as long as your PRO matches the publishing contract and that matches the metadata that you're sending in, you should be okay. Okay. Um... Michael, is there a gopher in my shirt pocket? Uh, and the answer is no. Uh, it was my other earbud. It kept getting caught between my belly and my desk. I didn't want to pull the little thingy off, so stuck it in my shirt pocket. Um, can I submit a song with a beat that I have under lease? Craig, I know we both know the answer to this, but please no. take this one. <laughs> no, do not do that, that you have under lease, that you're renting... No, create your own beat, you know, don't, don't. Uh, well, tell uh, them why, why they can't take a leashed beat. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would avoid using samples, whether they're cleared or not, because most publishers want something original. They want something that you created, because if, if you didn't create it in any way, then they have to issue a separate license for that portion of the piece that you don't really own. It, again, it just creates more paperwork for people that they, that they don't do. Um, and again, it's it's more prevalent in some styles like with hip hop or some EDM where you sample a previously recorded work. Um, if you're leasing it or renting it or borrowing it or whatever that does, it just it, it's not that hard to recreate some of these things. Um, and it creates clearance issues for publishers. And if it gets past the publisher, maybe or maybe it doesn't get past the music supervisor. But if it gets into the show and it's not properly cleared, then you've got you've got legal trouble, which costs everybody time and money. And Again, if, if your name gets associated with creating problems and legal time and trouble, they're not going to want to deal with you. So you got to make it easy for your music to be con to for your music to be placed. Um, and if you get something synced that has a, a, a sample in it that isn't cleared, it's going to create problems. Did I leave something out? No, I think you covered it really well. Um, it's so funny. Uh, we're talking about following the instructions from the libraries, you know, exactly as they ask. Don't think, well, I don't really have to do it like that because I don't understand it or I don't feel like it or I'm too lazy or my, my music, right, my music is just so damn good. Right. They won't care, but right. they will care because there are plenty of other people making music that good yeah. that they don't have these problems with. So I'm looking at the questions here. Somebody said, you know, just follow the instructions from your library. But it's amazing how many people can't type a question with the word QUESTION in all caps in front of it in the chat room. The simple instruction, I'm not asking you to do it to be a jerk about it. 
It just no, makes it easier for me to, in the middle of a million things in the chat room, to see which ones are the questions. And people right. can't, can't follow that. How are they going to get their IPI number in the right hole? Jeez. Again, hopefully what, what the takeaways from this uh, podcast or episode will be is that there's a certain amount of homework you can do. If you're starting to get a lot of forwards from Taxi and some publishers have reached out to you, the, the things that the publishers request from you are going to be similar. Um, and if you're prepared for that, you're going to come across like a pro, even if you're just kind of getting to that level. Um, you know, read uh, an exclusive contract, read a non-exclusive contract so you're familiar with the language. Make sure you know the difference between your IP number, your CAE number. A CAE is also your IPI number. Uh, make sure you whoa. understand. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Go back. You, you rolled right over that one. Your CAE is the same as your I think CAE and IPI are the same number. Uh, it's just for, I, I think ASCAP calls it one thing and BMI uh. calls it another. Um, and, but like I said, you can do a certain amount of prep work in advance. Uh, from, from the minute you export your session, if you want, if you want to be really proactive about it, create a file with MP3s, one with AIFFs, and one with waves. That might be time consuming and eat up a lot of space. And if you're dealing with a lot of files, that might be time prohibiting. But again, there's a certain amount of things you can do homework wise to prepare yourself for a big signing. If you get a publisher that reaches out to you and says, hey, you know, the Kardashians are coming back TV and we want you to create 20 cues for that. You know, it would be a good idea for you to have some knowledge of a publishing contract, an AIFF file versus a WAV file. Make sure you, you know, your name is written correctly, BMI or ASCAP on the contract with Taxi so that you're ready to go. Again, if you can turn around, a publisher says, hey, I want to sign your music, get back to them right away. Give them the deliverables. It's usually in that introductory email that they'll send you. I need waves or and I need the contract and I need this by, you know, as soon as you can get it to me. If you send that to the publisher in a zip file three hours later, they're going to know you mean business and they're going to take you more seriously. And it's going to be more profitable for you in the long run. Yeah. You know, by the way, uh, we're out of time, but I want to mention before we go, another exciting panel I'm doing at this year's Road Rally is we're going to do an hour straight of nothing but listening to instrumental cue after instrumental cue after instrumental cue because a picture's worth a thousand words. I think if people sit in the ballroom for an hour and hear nothing but cues done well and cues done right, that the light will go on for so many people. Oh, now I understand what a developmental arc is. Now I understand what a buttoned ending is. Now I understand the difference between a buttoned ending and a stinger ending. And I'll stand there on the side of the stage listening along with you guys and I'll go, well, there you go. There's a great example. See how that one landed on the tonic, on the beat, but it wasn't ta-da, it just went boom, that's a button. Now, another one that goes, ta-da, like an exclamation point at the end on the tonic on the beat, that's a stinger. Could you take the first one that just goes bump and use it on its own? Eh, not so much. Could you take the one that goes bump and use that on its own? Yeah, and you got to do the hand thing with it because without the hand thing. Anyway. That would be a good panel. Yeah, it will be. Uh, I'm very excited to do that. I'm excited about the whole road rally. It's a giant pain in the butt to put it together but it's very satisfying when i know how much great information we're getting out there so if you guys liked today's show which by the way craig you did an excellent job today as you always do hopefully everybody learned something and i don't get too much hate mail from it you won't get hate mail stop okay. it um <laughs> never mind i won't say that, that would be inappropriate i wouldn't want to do that um 
What was I going to say? I can't remember. Oh, we're off for next week because it's Labor Day in the good old United States. So uh, that's that. Uh, we will be back again. So let me pop up my calendar real quickly. Um, so next Monday is the 5th. We will not be doing a show on the 5th, but we will be doing a show on September 12th. So we will see you guys in two weeks. Wow, I don't have to prep a show next week. Yay. Um, I only have to prep the road rally. Don't forget to give us some likes. If you thought today's information was valuable, is it any skin off your butt to click that little thumbs up thing and give us a like so that uh, YouTube likes us right back? Uh, if you're not a subscriber, please click the red button that says subscribe. And if you'd like to get notifications, if you're like out in the backyard gardening or cooking dinner, and you want to know, oh, a show's about to start, click that little bell and you will get notifications. With that, whoops, let me get back to that other screen. There we are. Okay, uh, Craigo, great job. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to do it with me today. Thank you so much for running that listing so we could see what it's like for the end user side of the taxi mm -hmm. experience. And all you guys in the audience, thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate it. With that, I bid you all a fond farewell from Taxi World Headquarters in beautiful Calabasas, California. Adios. Yeah.